Welcome to the Crown Council's Mentor of the Month podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson. This Mentor of the Month program has been going on since the very beginning of Crown Council memberships, and it's actually started to become more than a Mentor of the Month. It's more like Mentor of the Week, uh, which we are excited about. We believe that um, in order to copy genius, the copy the genius of others, you've got to be willing to ask. And in this episode, Steve Anderson asks an old annual event presenter, Dave Weber, who's also a leadership expert, uh, to spend about an hour uh, talking about the 12 essentials of leadership. Uh, it's a great program, uh, one that every team member can learn from, especially anyone who's in a leadership position. Uh, they can learn some basic skills and ideas on how to be a great leader, whether you're in authority, which is what uh, Dave talks about, the authority of leadership, uh, or the influence of leadership. So it's a great program. The The Crown Council, for those who are new, is an international association of dental teams who are dedicated to seeking out and sharing their very best practices in order to improve uh, dental care in every area of the industry. This program, the Mentor of the Month program, is just one of the many resources that Crown Council members enjoy uh, as part of being a member of Crown Council. Um, they use this and, and many of our other online training tools to build a culture of success. So if any of you listening are not members of Crown Council, we encourage you to visit the Crown Council website at www.crowncouncil.org for more information on joining with us. That's it. We hope you enjoy the broadcast, um, and I'll see you next time. Thanks. Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. The success of any organization rises or falls on the quality and the strength of leadership. No matter your position in the organization, you have a leadership position. And that leadership position has little to do with your title or tenure. There's something much more powerful at work that will determine your leadership success that will be revealed in just a moment by this month's Mentor of the Month. For over 25 years, our Mentor of the Month has worked with well-known organizations such as AT&T, Delta Airlines, Nike, IBM, and Chick-fil-A, and many others to improve their culture, leadership, and success. He is one of only three speakers to present at the Crown Council annual event three times. He is the author of Sticks and Stones, Exposed, The Power of Our Words, and the just-released Leadership Redefined. So here to redefine leadership for the Crown Council is this month's Crown Council Mentor of the Month, Dave Weber. Dave, welcome back. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. Great to be back. Wow, what an introduction. Well done. Many uh, in the Crown Council have heard you on stage and seen you in person, so we're delighted to have you join us in this format to talk about your most recent work. So maybe you could start out by telling us what about leadership is it that needs to be redefined? Yeah, nothing like taking a really big bite out of that elephant, huh? Um, what I really simply set out to try to do, Steve, was challenge what I call the traditional view of what leadership is all about. Uh, one of our country's leading uh, leadership gurus, Ken Blanchard, out in San Diego, has said that the key to successful leadership today is influence, not authority. And really for decades, when anyone spoke of leadership, 
they were pretty much referring to title, um, authority, or responsibility. And, you know, while leadership can certainly be about these things, the reality is that in today's world, leadership is also about influence. All right, so why don't differentiate for us, just so everybody's working with the same terms, the difference between authority and influence and what it has to do with leadership. Well, you know, authority and title and responsibility are things that, you know, folks might have as a result of their title. Um, however, you know, many times you've maybe heard the phrase, there's the formal organization chart, and then there's the informal organization chart. It's many times the informal organization chart where influence is truly wielded, and that's where you go when you really want to get something done. You know, to, to limit leadership only to those who have some sort of title is to really ignore the truth of what's really happening within many groups, teams, you know, practices and organizations. Um, leadership is about so much more than a title. And in, in my notion of trying to redefine leadership, um, title denotes authority, while influence maybe denotes really getting things done um, and, and making things happen. I mean, here's what I mean. Watch, watch any group of kindergartners on a playground, Steve. Um, not one of those stinkers has a title or any authority or any responsibility, but there is definitely someone influencing what's going on. That person's the leader. Now, I believe that the new reality is that a leader is anyone who has influence. And when you think about that, you know, who can be a leader? Really, anyone can be a leader, but not in the traditional view. Does that make sense? All right, so anyone? Well, yeah, here's the thing. I, I think most people... Um, still tend to look at the top of an organization or department for leadership. Um, in theory, that is, in the traditional view. But in the real world, when you think about it, the highest performing groups in companies, practices, heck, even sports teams, they have members who demonstrate leadership at every level. And I call these people leaders without the title. And they have latched on to the profound reality that because they have influence, they lead. All right. So who, who really needs to hear the, meta, the, the whole message of, of redefining leadership? Is it those in leader, leadership positions or others? Well, see, there it is. You just said it. The phrase for those in leadership positions, that's really a reference to the traditional view of leadership, that it has something to do with a position. Now, while it can, my goal in writing this book was to enlarge on that idea. There are really, Steve, two different target audiences for this book. Um, on the one hand, um, I wrote this book specifically to those traditional leaders, those who by the nature of their position or authority or responsibility within an organization are deemed leaders. And for this target group, I wanted to share some strategies that will really help them to increase their own leadership capacity and, even more importantly, provide a tool whereby they could educate, motivate, and inspire their team members to begin to operate from the paradigm that they too are leaders and help them understand that their actions can also greatly impact results. Um, in fact, I really designed the book for the traditional leader 
to serve as a fabulous tool, really a book study, where a group could spend one quarter, 12 weeks, reading a chapter per week. And at the end of every chapter, there's a series of discussion questions to help the group make the connection from what they're reading to applying it in their own daily behavior. But on the other hand, that's the first group, the traditional leader. On the other hand, though, I really wrote this book for all those what I call individual contributors and team members who, for whatever reason, may not think that they're a leader. Maybe it's because of their job title or responsibilities or whatever. They somehow feel less than a leader. And what this group may not realize is that by the nature of their influence on people and situations, they can have a dramatic impact on what happens. So give me an example of that. All right. Um, I'll just um, I'll go right to the, the opening story in the in the in the book Leadership Redefined. Um, it's a true story. It happened here um, uh, in Georgia. I actually uh, kind of listened to it transpire as I was driving around in my car around Atlanta. Uh, it was a wet and dreary October morning, and a single mom and her six-year-old son were preparing for their day. It was just the two of them, and her world pretty much revolved around him. She made her decisions on everything, pretty much on how it would affect her son. And they were sharing a bowl of cereal at the breakfast table, and it was raining outside. When Mom glanced down at her watch and said, oh, my gosh, buddy, look at the time. Um, I don't want you to miss the bus. Hurry up. Brush your teeth. Grab your backpack. I'll meet you in the garage. I'll drive you up to the top of the street. So they meet back in the garage, and Mom drives them up to the top of the street. And the bus is running a few minutes late, as it usually does on rainy mornings as kids are hopping out of cars and piling in. And when the bus finally pulled up, he said, Goodbye, Mom. I love you. He hopped out of his car, climbed up those three almost two big steps for a six-year-old, and uh, came about halfway to the back and sat down in the seat. And as the bus pulled away, the mom could see her son's face in the little window as he waved excitedly goodbye to her. And she returned the wave with an equal amount of energy. And as soon as the bus cleared the top of the hill and disappeared, she thought, okay, tag, school, you got him. And she raced back down to her house to, you know, finish cleaning up the kitchen and lock up the house and set the alarm. Meanwhile, the bus went up the hill, down the hill to another bus stop, took a left to a bus stop, a right to a bus stop, another couple of rights, a left to a bus stop. And the little boy approached the bus driver. And he said to the bus driver, you know, excuse me, I just... I just got sick in my seat. Well, the bus driver's thinking to himself, great, this kid just puked on my bus. That is not what I need on an already lousy day. I'm already running behind. And so the bus driver looked at the little boy and said, quote, then you need to go home. And he opened the door of the bus. Now, these are my words. Kicked the little boy off the bus. Well, meanwhile... A mother who had just put her daughter on that same bus was standing on the front steps of her house, sipping her coffee under the umbrella. And she had watched the bus pull up, watched her daughter climb on, watched the door close, and she waited for the bus to pull away, but it didn't. Then she noticed the door opening and a little boy climbing off the bus. Then she watched the door close, and the bus pulled away, leaving this little boy on the side of the road. And she could tell just by looking at him, oh, my gosh, he has no idea where he is as he looked up and down the street. And then finally, he just took off walking the opposite direction of the bus. And every alarm inside this mom was going off. This is so not right. What is going on? So she followed him. And it took only about three minutes before she could finally hear his sobs and his crying. And she kind of came up from behind him and said, hey there, are you okay? Are you okay? 
Well, he turned around, big alligator tears running down his face, and he said, I don't know where I am. And he was so upset. Well, this mom made it her top priority in life to get this little boy back safe and you know, safe and secure to his home. And he didn't know what his phone number was. He couldn't remember what his address was. He was just so beside himself. So she convinced him to to, to get in the car with her. And that, that she said, I kind of know the way the bus goes. Let's just, why don't we go back and see if we can find your house? Well, he thought that was an okay idea. And after a few minutes of searching, sure enough, they came over the hill and the little boy said, there it is, that's my street. Well, as she pulled into the little boy's street, there was a car coming up the street, and the little boy said, that's my mom's car. Well, this woman did the crazy Dukes of Hazard slide your car sideways, block the street move, hopped out of her car, and picture the little boy's mom who's coming up the road, sees this crazy woman, you know, block the road with her car, and then realizes her son is in crazy woman's car. Well, they both jump out. Uh, the moms exchange names and numbers, and the, the woman tells the mother of the little boy what she saw transpire in front of her house. You can imagine how grateful the little boy's mom is. And so she says, thank you so much, and gets her son back home, tucks him into bed. Sure enough, he's running a fever. She gets a little Tylenol in him, and she closes the door to his bedroom and slowly turns to face the phone in the kitchen. Now, let me just pause right there, Steve. How do you think that mom is feeling right now? What do you think is running through her head right now? If that was you, what would you be feeling right now? She is outraged. Unbelievably outraged. She is beyond it. She cannot believe her son was left on the side of the road. So she goes into the kitchen, she picks up the phone, and she called the school. The receptionist there at the school answered the phone. The mother told the receptionist everything that had just happened to her son, and the receptionist said, and I quote here, that's not my job. Call transportation. And she hung up the phone on the mom. Wow. Now how do you feel? Now she just threw more fuel on the fire. Yeah, she's about to go postal. Exactly right. She is so angry. Well, mom did not call transportation. She did not call the superintendent's office. She called the most powerful radio station in the southeastern United States and was instantly put on air by, a, by one of the largest talk show host audiences in all of the world to hear, and she vented every ounce of her anger and her venom, and it really kind of became an unofficial bash public schools and everybody that has anything to do with public schools day on the radio. And that all happened because two people, two people who didn't realize that they had influence, and as a result of their influence and the, the influence that they had on the situation, because of the decisions and the choices they made, you know, everybody in that industry all across America got a black eye that day. So, you know, can anybody be a leader? Yeah, you know, and you know, that that might even be the next question somebody would ask, you know. So 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 based on Dave Weber's view of leadership, is he saying that anybody can be a leader? Well, when you look at that scenario I just shared with you, Steve, yes, I think anybody can be a leader, but not in the traditional sense. I mean, clearly, the bus driver and the school secretary, they don't have titles that would imply leadership from the traditional perspective. 
but they both had a profound impact on the experience that the little boy and his mom had with their organization. And the same thing can happen in a practice. I mean, let's look at let's look at a typical dental practice. Um, look at the look at the receptionist position uh, in a dental practice. Um, clearly, I would say that position is rarely looked at as a leadership position. Uh, they're not the doctor. Uh, that person generally has no letters after their name that would indicate advanced education or training. But Steve, I would argue that that person is the vice president of first impressions. They are the first voice you hear when you call in. They are the first face you see when you walk in. And that individual, the receptionist, many times sets the tone for the entire patient experience. Now, receptionists who understand that truth, they intentionally influence the situation or the outcome. And by doing so, they're operating as a leader in my redefined terms by helping to move the entire practice toward its desired goal of being a great place that patients refer their friends and their family to. Um, you know, you can look at it from the opposite perspective as well. Have you ever gone into a doctor's office, been met by, been met by that little sliding glass window, and oh, you yeah. opened it? Oh, yeah. You open it only to find the receptionist typing away at her computer, and without even looking up at you, they just bark, sign in. You know, how does that make you feel? Not so good. Yeah, certainly not like a valued patient or a customer. Um, you know, you get no second chance to make a first impression. And, you know, many times those first impressions are lasting impressions. In fact, I, I can remember a, a, a time, Steve, there's, a, um, there's an office that I have to go to quite frequently here in Atlanta called the Atlanta Allergy Clinic. Um, any of your Crown Council folks who are from the southeast know all about our south, our southern pollen. Oh, and, yeah. Um, the, re the receptionist at the Atlanta Allergy Clinic, she truly saw herself as a leader in that organization in spite of her title. And, and Steve, she was so intentional uh, in how she interacted with every patient, every vendor, every sales rep that came in to see the docs. Um, I had to go in every single week to get allergy shots to help me battle this Georgia pollen. And then I'd have to sit in the waiting room for 30 minutes to make sure I didn't blow up like a balloon and have an allergic reaction. And I watched her every week, 30 minutes, every time I was in there. And I thought, you know, that is the kind of person I want taking care of my customers. She so understands that she is a leader in this organization. And when they walk in or when they call in, man, she just she reeks with professionalism and setting the tone for a positive patient experience. So I made that woman an offer to come work for me, and I stole her away from them because I think it's so important. <laughs> there you go. You know, you know, one of the most important things, I think, um, one of the most important jobs of a leader is to develop what I call distributed leadership. Now, distrib a distributed leadership mentality, Steve, is um, – is one where every single team member, everyone on the team, understands that they have influence and that they need to use their influence to positively impact what's going on around them in whatever position they have. So Dave, give me, uh, can you give me an example, because this is a cultural thing. Right. I mean, this is this is a in an organization. Every organization has a culture, and so it's a philosophy, and it's a culture that's in that organization. 
do you believe that someone who doesn't have that mentality can learn it and act on it if that wasn't their mentality when they first joined? You went out and sought it out. You found somebody that already had that mentality. Can you create it? Great question. I think absolutely, yes, you can, because I think a lot of people, and again, one of the reasons I wrote Leadership Redefined, a lot of people are stuck in the old paradigm that, well, this is, this is what my job is and this is what I do. Clearly, I'm not a leader in this organization, and that's stuck in the old paradigm. But I think absolutely people can have their paradigms challenged. Um, people can, can learn to see things from a, from a radically different perspective. And when you change someone's perspective, you completely change the way that they, that they look at a situation or that they, or that they look at the influence um, you know, that they have. Um, yes, I went out and looked for that particular person. just happened to be great timing for me. I had a receptionist who was getting ready to have a baby and was going to be leaving the workforce and wanted to stay home with her children. So I needed somebody. And so I was looking for that, but you know, let, let's go back to the opening story. The bus driver and the receptionist, the school receptionist in the opening story, they probably viewed their jobs from a very small, limited perspective. They probably maybe didn't didn't think about how their role, you know, their role might seem you know very small, if you will, in the um, you know in the whole education picture. But, but to reframe their jobs, you know, is the first step in really helping people to see what's going on. So let, let's start with the bus driver. Generally speaking, I think we would all agree that, um, you know, bus drivers probably don't get the um, um, the respect maybe that that they deserve um, uh, with regard to to the role that they play. Um, when it comes to the enormous responsibility they take on. The lives of dozens of students are literally in their hands every day. And while getting the children to school safely day in and day out is an enormous task, in the, in the particular case of the bus driver who booted the little boy off of his bus, I think maybe he viewed his job, his responsibility, too narrowly. Um, maybe a broader and more relevant way for him to have looked at his task and the potential for his Positive leadership and influence is this. You know, the bus experience is often the very first contact that a student has with respect to his or her education every day. The bus driver's face is the first face a student sees with respect to the school, and consequently, any experience that a student has on the bus or with the bus driver, good or bad, can really make an indelible mark on the perception a child has of education, for better or worse. You know, so. I'll bet you the bus driver had never thought of his position as one that maybe even sets the tone, the emotional and the mental tone for a student getting ready to go to school day in and day out. But yet, if you were to share that with a bus driver, they would begin to see their job completely differently, and they would take on a whole new level of ownership as to the importance of the role that they fulfill for their organization. All right, so does that idea have anything to do with the selection of a pawn on the cover of your book? You have in, in chess pieces, you have a pawn, the lowly pawn on the cover <laughs> of your book. Explain Man, that. Man, you are, you are very observant. Great question. Um, you know, when it, let me back up a second. When it comes to leadership, 
I think when most people think of a chessboard, I think they would instantly think of the king or the queen. I mean, right. those are the two pieces. I mean, the queen has the most power. The king has the most prestige. You have to protect the king. But a lowly pawn, I mean, aren't they the throwaway pieces on the way to victory? Not in the hands of a chess master. Even a pawn can have an impact on the outcome. And I chose the pawn, Steve, because it represents the truth that anyone can influence what's going on around them. See, I believe that we all have leadership qualities within ourselves, and the key is learning how to increase the influence that we have right where we are in order to positively impact our lives. Got it. So tell us about the 12 X's of success and uh, when you and, and what that has to do with increasing your influence. Okay, well, that's actually the subtitle of the book. The, 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 the formal full title is Leadership Redefined, the 12 X's of success for today's leader. And as you probably recall, and, and many of your listeners will, uh, back in January, uh, Crown invited me out to Las Vegas to the M Resort uh, to deliver a presentation that at that point I simply called the 12 X's of success. Um, honestly, the book was supposed to be done by then, and that was going to be our first event where we were going to both announce it and introduce it. Um, but sadly, we did not make the deadline, and I'd love to blame the printer or the editor or the cover designer, but Honestly, Steve, it was all the author's fault. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to find good help. Um, the principles that I shared there in Vegas are these same 12 X's. So since my new perspective of leadership is really about influence, I wanted to share with my readers 12 different strategies that they could implement on a daily basis in their life to increase the level of influence they have both professionally and personally in their lives to bring about you know, more positive outcomes. All right, so give us an example of, of some of the 12 X's. Okay, well, um, uh, first of all, in case there's any confusion out there, the 12 X's are not indicative of a lifetime full of failed marriages on my part. <laughs> all, my ex, all my X's live in Texas. No, that's, that's not right. it. The 12 X's are simple phrases that all start with the sound X to identify each strategy. For example, they vary from extract a goal to expect opposition to extend a helping hand to examine everything. So they're just 12 separate strategies that each start with the sound X. All right. Well, let, let's start with examine everything. Tell us about that. Okay. It's one of my favorites. Um, I could have written an entire book, I think, just on this one X. Um, but before I tell you about it, let me back up a second. Do you – a lot of people have never really thought about this, but human beings – we are the only creature capable of deceiving itself. I mean, Steve, we can BS ourselves into oblivion and believe it the whole way. So let me just – to kind of illustrate what I mean by that. I mean, we, we are so susceptible to self-deceit and self-deception, um, and we're capa so capable of falling into it without close examination. So uh, I, I want to take you back to, a, to a, another story that's in the book of – um, a, a small uh, train was pulling out of an Eastern European train station several decades ago. Um, in the small four-person compartment, there was a Nazi, uh, a Nazi officer in uniform, a Romanian officer in uniform, 
there was an American grandmother and her young 24-year-old very attractive granddaughter. And the train pulled out of the station, and they'd been traveling across the Eastern European countryside for you know, about 45 minutes or so. The conversation in the passenger compartment was very light and upbeat. It was very surfacey and shallow. It was mostly the weather and the beautiful Eastern European countryside when all of a sudden the train entered a long, dark tunnel, and everything went, I mean, completely pitch black dark. Couldn't even see the hand in front of your face. All that was heard in the passenger compartment was a loud kiss followed by a vigorous slap. And then the train came out of the tunnel. Now, no one said a word, but everyone knew exactly what happened. In fact, the American grandmother was sitting there so straight and proud in her seat as she was thinking to herself, I am so proud of my granddaughter. I have done a fine job of raising her. She is going to be able to take care of herself in this cruel world. I am so proud of her. See, Grandma knew exactly what happened. But next to her sat her granddaughter in stunned, shocked disbelief. As she was thinking to herself, OMG, that sounded like Grandma packed quite a wallop. I am shocked that she would be upset that one of these fellows tried to steal a kiss. They seem very nice, and they are quite handsome in their uniforms. Go, Grandma! You see, clearly, the granddaughter knew what had happened. Well, across from her sat the Nazi. Oh, and he was fuming. He was thinking to himself, oh, those clever Romanians. They steal a kiss and get the other guy slapped. I will so have my revenge when he gets off this train. Clearly, he knew what had happened. And finally, the Romanian had kind of snuggled up into the corner by himself, and he was chuckling, thinking to himself, <laughs> that was so good. Kiss the back of my own hand and then slap that Nazi. Now, the point <laughs> is, the point is, 70, 100% um, of the people came out of that tunnel believing they knew exactly what happened. But 75% of them were wrong. And the key behind that principle, examine everything, is that, wow, it is easy to let certain aspects of our jobs, our relationships, our lives go blissfully unexamined. I mean, we may have two perfectly healthy eyes, but are we really seeing what is right in front of us? Um, I had another situation happen not too long ago. I was actually visiting a school in um, northeast uh, was it in Northeast Florida or Northeast Tennessee? I can't remember. It was a school here in the South. I was there to work with the faculty, and I had gotten there very early. The room was all set up, and it was a brand-new building, and this principal was so excited about their new building, as a dentist would be about their brand-new building. And since we had a little time to kill before the session was to begin, um, you know, he said, would you, would you like a tour? I said, yes, absolutely. And so we're going through the building, and um, um, – I was going to be the afternoon speaker, so the building was filled with students in the morning. And so I had gotten there late in the morning, so we're visiting classrooms. We're popping our heads in, watching teachers teach. And um, uh, as we had, we had visited four classrooms, and I'd just kind of been watching how the, how the interaction was going and everything, when um, 
when I asked the principal a question, I said, how have the recent reductions in force impacted your school? There have been a, quite a bit of, of layoffs and downsizing in the school district, and I was curious as to how it had impacted you know, the morale of her staff, her team. And she said, oh, uh, Dave, it's, it's been devastating. It's been absolutely devastating. Um, I, I had to let some of our teachers go. We just barely have enough to keep up with the demand, and the pressure is so great. Um, you know, we're, we're mainstreaming our students with special needs into their general education classrooms, and I have regular education teachers and special education teachers co-teaching in the same room at the same time. She said, I need every one of my teachers working at peak performance if we're going to be able to, to do what's being asked of us. And I said, so it's really been hard. She said, oh, my gosh, yes. I said, how are you ever going to do it with four fewer teachers. And the principal looked at me and said, do you know something that I don't? You know, because sometimes that happens. The outside consultant knows things that the inside employees <laughs> right. maybe don't know. And uh, I said, maybe. And the principal said, what do you mean? And I said, well, tell me what you just saw in those four rooms that we just visited. And the principal said, okay. Um, there were two teachers in each room, and they were both teaching the students of with you know with varying needs and learning challenges um uh, they were communicating and collaborating they were sharing best practices to help and try and move all of our students from where they are to where they need to be and i said is that the plan and the principal said yes we've been working very hard to create professional learning communities and we've been strategizing and i said that's not what i saw in those four classrooms and the principal was shocked what do you mean I said, oh, I saw two adults in every classroom, don't get me wrong, but only one of the adults was really teaching students. The other adult was in there, and honestly, it looked to me like the other adult was in there just to help the teacher if the teacher needed help. But there was only one teacher teaching in the four rooms we just visited, not eight. And the principal looked as if they'd just gotten hit between the eyes with a two-by-four. And um, I needed to go make a conference call. I had a time to conference call that I need just a very brief one, you know, that was going to be, then we were going to have lunch, then I was going to do the presentation. And the principal said, you go make the call in my office. I'm going back to those classrooms. Well, we connected after my call, and the principal said, oh, my gosh, you are absolutely right. I didn't even see what was going on, and it is right in front of my face. And that can happen so easily. Steve, in, in, in the organization, you know, is the front office team in a practice, are they really working well together? I mean, everything seemed to be fine when I walked through there on my way out to lunch, you know. Um, is the front office and the back office really communicating smoothly back and forth to each other? I mean, I think they are. See, and the entire principle behind examine everything. That's the easy thing to remember, examine everything. But the principle that lives behind this strategy, Steve, is this. I believe that we see what we expect to see, yep. not necessarily what's really there. We see what we expect to see. And we can become so, so busy and so preoccupied 
that we don't even notice what's going on right in front of us. And the damage from that ignorance, oh my gosh, it can be devastating or shocking like a, a spouse filing for divorce or a, a child running away from home or a, a key employee quitting or a partner wanting out of the practice. Uh, examine everything is all about really looking, really listening, really seeing what's going on in, in our homes, in our businesses, in our, in our practices. So well, that's sometimes what it does. Everything. It does take a separate set of eyes to see it from a different perspective. Oh yeah, it really does. We get so caught up. Yeah, and if if we've talked about this and this is what we're going to do, then many times as a traditional leader, if we've talked about it, we expect that's what's happening, and we breeze through the office and we're la- looking around. We think, yep, yep, that's what we talked about. But are we really seeing what's going on? Is the front office and the back office really getting along well? I mean, we talk about getting along well, but are they? Are we really seeing? Are we really hearing what those dynamics are? Because I'm sure you've been in some offices. There's a real, there's a continental divide between the folks that work in the front and the folks that work in the back. Well, the doc might be clueless. One of your exes has to do with expecting opposition, which I find interesting. Many people think that the objective of life is peace, calm, and tranquility, uh, but yet you say to expect things to go wrong. Tell us about expecting opposition. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound very uplifting, does it? Um, the thinking behind expect opposition is this. Steve, I have seen firsthand so many people Get, that get thrown completely off course in the pursuit of their dreams and their goals when they encounter some opposition on the road to get there. So I want to encourage people to literally expect opposition so that when it comes, it won't throw them for a loop. They'll be more prepared for it. Now, honestly, there's some opposition out there that's really easy to anticipate. Maybe it's that coworker who always opposes anything that you suggest or you know, that teenager who thinks everything you say is oh so lame. But we can really get knocked off course when the opposition comes from someone that we expect to be on our own team. Um, you know, uh, I can remember being, uh, gosh, it was another school example here that just is popping into my head now. Um, uh, I was taking another tour of another school prior to working with a faculty, and we were on the fourth grade hall. I remember it like it was yesterday. And these three or four fourth-grade teachers came giggling and cackling and flying by us like you know a, a pack of rabid hyenas, and they went flying into one of their colleagues' rooms. Well, the, the principal who I was with and I, we didn't want to miss out on the fun, so we followed them into the room. And these three or four teachers surrounded their colleagues' desk, and they were shouting, Where is it? Where is it? We know it's here. you got to show it to us. Where is it? Where is it? And the teacher sitting there said, guys, what are you all looking for? You're, mess- you're destroying my desk. What are you looking for? Finally, one of them held this piece of paper up in the air like a trophy, and they said, here it is. Here it is. Look, look. And they began running their finger down this piece of paper, and at the same time, they all busted out laughing as one of them shouted, ha, 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 there it is. You got him. And they threw the piece of paper down. They high-fived each other, and as fast as they ran into the room, they stormed out of the room. Well, what on earth were they holding? They were holding this teacher's new class roster for the new year. And they were giggling and cackling and high-fiving each other because the student that was the, the hellion, the student that nobody wanted, ended up in this other teacher's classroom. 
And the very people that you would expect to be on her side, on her team, encouraging, they were the very ones who came in and literally yanked the rug right out from under their colleagues' feet days before the students even showed up on campus. They'd already begun to steal her dream, her goal of a great year filled with learning and new relationships. You know, um, they just, they totally knocked her off course. And as the principal and I walked out of that room, I could just tell this woman was sitting at her desk devastated. Here, her dreams for a great year had been taken from her already. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for, for people that are just, I call them the mediocrity, you know. People that just, you know, mediocrity is, is, is kind of their goal, their target. Um, Albert Einstein was the one who said, great minds have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. Yep. And, man, I wholeheartedly agree. A lot of pushback comes from the people who just don't expect to achieve beyond the ordinary in life. And the longer I live, Steve, the more I see the negative impact that mediocrity can have in virtually any situation, from a mediocre team member pulling down the whole team to mediocre patient care to mediocre customer service to mediocre parenting. Um, leaders, leaders understand that in their quest to, to be and to do better in every aspect of their lives, they must be aware of the mediocre in their midst because, you know, whatever its form, mediocrity recognizes, it recognizes greatness, it, it resents it, and, it, and it seeks to pull it down. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that goes hand in hand with cynical people. I think cynicism is nothing more than cancer of the attitude. And, you know, really many times cynics and, and mediocre people, the bottom line is they don't want to work harder to get better and they don't like that you do. You know, so while some people it's easy to expect opposition from, it's, it's when we're hit with opposition from those that should be, we think, on our team or on our side that can really throw us off. And so in that particular X, expecting opposition, I, I try to share some, some modern-day strategies for when you encounter opposition. You know, how should you handle it? Rather than let it throw you off course, you know, here, here's three quick things. Analyze the source of the opposition. You know, that's the first thing. Do the opinions of the opposition, do they really represent the majority? Or do they just merely represent a small but very highly vocal minority? You know? Uh, second thing, what's the opposition saying? Are there, are there valid points being made? You know, if so, consider what they're saying as a tool to help you fine-tune your idea to help you identify weaknesses that you hadn't thought of and increase your chances for success. And third, know when to ignore the opposition and move on. Sometimes they're just mediocrity. Sometimes they're just cynics. And you know what? You can't let them negatively impact what you're trying to do or trying to achieve. Dave, you, you talk a lot about attitude, which is no surprise. And two of the X's that where you highlight that is expose yourself to winners which is a big uh, cornerstone of the Crown Council philosophy, and sure ex is. exclude negative thinking, which is all part of our eagle philosophy. So share with us a little bit about those two attitudes. Okay. Um, in, in my research, Steve, uh, I discovered a couple of just incredibly basic, what I call life truths. Here's the first one. You are in charge of your own attitude. And the second one is attitude is contagious. 
and the research that, that, that I reviewed and looked at and the experiments that have been done in this area are just staggering. And what's interesting is, yes, attitudes are contagious, and negative, bad attitudes are even more so than positive ones. So when I talk about exposing yourself to winners, I mean, man, surround yourself with uppers, people that give you life, not people that suck the life out of you. You see, we live in a world that today is filled with more than its share of bitter, angry, and negative people. And the research is crystal clear on this. These people have the ability to sabotage the atmosphere around them. And when we simply put up with negative environments or atmospheres and the behaviors that can cause them to flourish, whether it involves you know, unprofessionalism or racism or rudeness or whatever, it is on us as leaders, and in my redefined leader, even if you don't have the title, it's up to us to take a stand, to react, to speak up, to, to say or do something to address and fix the problem or at least to start addressing or fixing the problem. Um, but this is where I get some pushback. People say, but Dave, you know, I don't like to rock the boat. I don't want to be a tattletale. I don't want to be a part of office politics. And I understand that, and that's good and fine, but don't expect things to change either because the bottom line is you get what you tolerate. And regardless of the role a person plays within an organization, you get what you tolerate. And instead, we ought to be about two of the other X's that are in the book, which are exceed normal expectations and exercise efforts. See, because there, there's no unimportant, no unimportant job. Um, I can remember my daughter's very first day of school, Steve. Um, I travel an awful lot. Uh, um, this is my busy time of year. You and I are, are doing this interview here at the end of July, and the, the end of July and August are, is the busiest time in my life. In fact, I will be giving 28 presentations in the next 28 days uh, at a different venue every single day. And I, I love it. I'm never complaining about it, but it did cause me to miss my daughter's very first day of school ever. And... Um, I didn't want her to be a failure, so we did a dry run the weekend before the first week of school, and I picked her up in my car at the top of the street, and we pretended it was the bus, and we went to the school and parked where the bus would park, and we got out of my car, and we walked to find her classroom, and I didn't want her to be lost. I didn't want her to be upset or nervous or cry, and while we were there, we even did a dry run of the cafeteria. Here's where you go in. Here's where you get the plastic tray. You know, Lindsay was asking questions. What are all these shapes on my tray? Well, this is where your plate goes. This is where your milk goes. Your silverware goes here. You know, just the whole shooting match. Well, the day, the first day of school came. I don't even remember what city I was in. And I called my daughter, Lindsay, at home last night. I said, Lindsay, how was your first day of school? She said, oh, Daddy, it was great. I love school. It is the best. I can't wait to go back tomorrow. And I thought, oh, this is so great, you know. Uh, I said, what did you love best? And she said, Daddy, I love Miss Hannah. I love Miss Hannah. I thought, that is so cool. My daughter has a teacher that she just loves and she's close to. And I thought a little bit odd. You know, I thought Hannah was a first name, but maybe it's her last name. I hadn't met the teacher yet. Bottom line is I called in every night for several weeks. And every night Lindsay said, I love Miss Hannah, Daddy. Well, several weeks into the school year, I had a day off. And so I got to go visit school with Lindsay. She was so excited. When we walk into our first grade room, and I see this little tiny woman up in front of the class, obviously Lindsay's teachers, and I go walking up, and I say, hi, I'm Lindsay's dad, Dave Weber. And she said, oh, I'm so glad to meet you, Mr. Weber. My name is Catherine Paget." 
and I thought to myself, well, who's Miss Hannah? And then I thought, well, maybe it's the maybe it's the aide, the the, the the paraprofessional that works in the room with the teacher. Well, several minutes later, another woman came walking in, and it was the aide. Her name was Sonia Bennett. A few minutes later, I met the room mom. Her name was Joan Page. And I'm going crazy. Who the heck is Miss Hannah? Well, then it's time to go to PE about midway through the morning. I thought, oh, it's going to be Lindsay's PE teacher. Lindsay loves PE. She loves games and playing. Well, I walked into the gym, and I met Coach Bill. I'm Coach Bill. And I'm, I'm just, I'm going nuts. And I've just decided, well, just sit back and see what's going to happen. Well, it's time for lunch. We're going through the line. Lindsay grabs her tray. And as she, shits her tr- as she sets her tray down on that little steel shelf that you slide down, this woman looks across the counter at my daughter and says, Well, hello, sunshine. And Lindsay looked up into her eyes and she said, Hi, Miss Hannah. This is my dad the most influential person in my daughter's life the first several weeks of school was the lady who served her lunch in the cafeteria. And this woman so exceeded normal expectations. She so exercised effort that she transformed her job from, quote, unquote, the cafeteria lady to the woman my daughter couldn't wait to see and couldn't wait to introduce me to. You know, so that that is a woman who understands what a redefined leader is. She has a critical role to play. You wouldn't think the cafeteria lady is a big deal in, in, in the big educational picture. But to my daughter, oh, my gosh, that woman set the tone and what my daughter thought about what my daughter was excited about. She loved being called sunshine by this woman. So there's just you know we've got to we've got to be about learning to establish establish um, habits of excellence. A redefined leader is all about excellence. And true excellence, Steve, that's not an act; it's a habit. Miss Hannah didn't act like that because her supervisor was standing behind her. That's just the way Miss Hannah knew to do her job with excellence all the time, not just some of the time. Does that make sense? makes sense. Dave, maybe you could, as we, as we kind of wrap up here, talk uh, briefly about extracting a goal. That's another one of your X's, a common sense, uh, something that all of us have heard, yet just today I had lunch with someone who works with dentists all over the country. One of the things that he commented to me on was, while everyone knows it, there aren't quite as many that actually act on it. Talk to us about extracting a goal briefly. Yeah, that's so true, Steve. Um, In fact, extract a goal is the very first strategy um, in my book because it's really foundational to so many of the others. Um, And if you've ever read books or listened to presenters uh, talk about what I call making progress on purpose, they'll always talk about the importance of goal setting. Um, in fact, it's been so heavily discussed and written about that when a lot of people even hear the phrase goal setting, you know, they start to yawn. Their, their eyes start rolling back in their head. But when I talk about extracting a goal, it's really to get to this truth. Steve, I believe that hope, hope in the future is what brings power to the present. And when the road you're on gets difficult, 
It is hope in the future that gives you the power and the will and the desire to keep persevering and not give up. I mean, it's the hope for a championship season that gets a football player through two days in August. Um, it is hope for a normal life that gives an addict the will to, to push through rehab. But it's hard to have hope in something if you don't know what that something is. That's where extracting a goal comes in. Goals are the powerful motivators behind behavior, and they can be the drivers that cause us to stay later, work harder, push faster. They give our lives meaning. But, but sadly, many people don't have goals, and they're missing out on the great things that goals can do for them. You know, goals, you know, just here's five quick things. Goals help you clarify and concentrate your efforts. Have you ever been leaving for vacation and you had to leave at noon? But you were going to go to the office that morning, but you knew it was drop dead. You had to be out the door at noon. Wasn't it amazing what you could accomplish that morning? You're oh, so absolutely. much more focused. Yeah. When you know you got to be out at noon, man, I get way more done on days like that in the morning than I do on other typical days because it really clarifies and con- concentrates your efforts. Goals help you see progress, which help you progress even further. I'm, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan uh, and his get out of debt. Um, uh, philosophy and he talks about you know list all your debts from the smallest to the biggest and throw all your money energy and effort at the smallest debt once that one's gone apply that money and what you're doing before to the next one and what happens is as people see themselves making progress man it helps them to progress even further Um, goals help you to develop more self-confidence I mean it's humanly impossible to achieve a goal you've set for yourself and not feel better about yourself Um, They help you become more proactive and less reactive. Goals help you to recognize opportunities. Um, It's it's staggering when you you zero in on a goal and start focusing your energy and effort on it. It's amazing to see how much more motivated and inspired you are to get off your rear end and start making progress on purpose to achieve it. Dave, let's talk real quickly about the book itself, Leadership Redefined and how a doctor might be able to use this to positively impact the practice. Well, as I said earlier, Steve, I I really wrote this book not only for an individual to read, but even more specifically for a team, a group, a department, even a practice to come together and go through the book together in the form of of a book study, almost like the book club. Um, It is set up to last one quarter. They do a chapter a week, and it's filled with personal application discussion questions at the end of each chapter to help people connect the dots to right where they live and work. Um, The discussion questions truly help to seal commitments and help people modify their behavior and begin to intentionally, positively impact what's going on in their, not only their work life, but also in their personal life. So how can, uh, how can somebody get a copy? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, simply, Steve, all they need to do, the easiest way is just simply go to uh, DaveWeber.com. That's my name, www.DaveWeber. That's D-A-V-E-W-E-B-E-R. I'm one of those one B webers DaveWeber.com to order. And here's something that we're going to be doing for Crown Council, Steve. Um, I have so enjoyed the relationship that we have had over the years. What an honor to have been only one of three folks you have invited back to your stage uh, for three uh, appearances. So at checkout, whenever any of your folks order um, copies of Leadership Redefined, when at checkout, when it asks for a code, if they simply type in the word crown, uh, I will donate $5 of every single book ordered 
back to Crown Council and to, and to Smiles for Life. So be sure, order for your family, order for all your team members, order for all your friends so uh, we can help out Smiles for Life in that way as well. Excellent, Dave. Thanks for your generosity. We appreciate uh, your your thinking of that and the good that it will do along the way. We have a lot of Crown Council members around the world engaged in the Smiles for Life efforts. We appreciate you being part of that. And thanks for sharing your wisdom today regarding leadership redefined and hope that everybody listening today can act on the things that you have talked about as well as the things in your new book. Thanks for sharing today. Uh, Steve, it was an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Have a great day.